It's time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell, and your golden years. Welcome once again to Dr. Mara Carpell and Your Golden Years, which airs every Sunday evening, 5 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And today is June the 2nd. Happy June, everyone. I love June. And we're back in beautiful Austin, Texas, and we have another great show to start off the month. Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here, of course, to make the show run, as usual. And we have a really great show in store for you, as we always do. (laughs) In a little while after the break, joining us once again from New York, a regular to the show, although he hasn't been on in a couple of years, health and wellness coach, vice president of Yoga Alliance Foundation, mental health social impact speaker, and author of the book, Strong in the Broken Places, a memoir of addiction and redemption through wellness. Quentin Denny will be back with us discussing his new book and his own path to wellness. And later in the program, Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, our producer, will be joining us right here on the other side of the mic to talk about his new video. And along the way, I will be giving another sneak peek into my book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age. And this time, I will be discussing the benefits of compassion with some new research findings about compassion that I just came across today. So this is this is cutting-edge research. It's brand new, and it shows us how compassion can benefit us and save the world. So, and I love talking about that topic. So we're going to talk about that along the way. And throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guests, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855 345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me and I will read them on the air. My email address is drmara, that's D-R-M-A-R-A, at drmarakarpel.com. D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P as in Peter, E-L.com. And If you do have a question for my guest or for Art or for me, um, make sure that you call or send your question while we're still on the air, while the guest is still on the phone so that your question can be answered. And you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website later tonight and the link to the podcast along with any website links that we discussed during the discussions on the program will be posted later tonight and you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blog talk radio that's b-l-o-g 
talkradio.com slash your golden years. And for information from previous programs, to listen to previous programs, to read my blog in Huffington Post and in Ariana Huffington's Thrive Global and Savannah Press, you can go to my website. It's a one-stop shop, drmaricarpel.com. And you can also hear all of the previous programs that I have um, aired here on Blog Talk Radio in the last five-plus years by going directly to blogtalkradio.com slash yourgoldenyears. And for information about upcoming events, to find out what's coming up on the next program, to know when my blog posts in Thrive Global, um, to find out more about my book, watch videos of interviews that we've done in person, um, and any other events. Um, I would suggest that you follow me on Facebook and that my Facebook address is Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. And if this is the first time that you're tuning in, I'm a licensed psychologist from New York City practicing here in Austin, Texas, and in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. And I work with adults of all ages and have a specialty of working with seniors and caregivers. And for the past few years, have also been evaluating veterans for PTSD. And up until very recently, I was in an, using an office part of the time in the wonderful Veterans Resource Center, Heroes Night Out, which is located in Cedar Park, Texas. And for information about this great resource for veterans and for veterans' families, you can check out their website, heroesnightout.org. Do you want to contact me? Do you have a question that you want to ask me or some information that you think I should know about? Uh, please feel free to give me a call. My phone number is 512-626-6973, or you can send me an email to drmara at drmaracarpel.com. Or you can go through my website, drmaricarpel.com, and just click on contact. This evening's program is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by Dr. Ronald DeVere, neurologist, memory specialist, and author of the book, Memory Loss, Everything You Want to Know But Forget to Ask. To make an appointment with Dr. DeVere at his memory clinic in Lakeway, Texas, or to purchase a copy of his book, you can call him at 512-261-7909 or send him an email to rdevere, that's R-D-E-V-E-R-E, at austin.rr.com. And his book is also available on Amazon. And this evening's program is sponsored by StoryHouse. StoryHouse gathers your stories and turns them into multimedia collections that can be shared now and for generations to come. Have StoryHouse over to conduct a private interview in your home or invite them to your next big event or family reunion. StoryHouse, where your memories live. Find out more at yourstoryhouse.com or call 512-296-8752. Okay, we're going to take a brief break. We're going to play some of our sponsors' commercials. Uh, Don't go anywhere because it'll be a very brief break. And when we come right back, we'll be joined on the phone by Quentin Denny, Vice President of Yoga Alliance Foundation, mental health social impact speaker, and author of the book, Strong in the Broken Places, 
a memoir of addiction and redemption through wellness. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Worried about memory loss? Dr. Ronald DeVere, certified neurologist and director of Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders in Lakeway, has been helping those with dementia and memory loss for over 12 years. Specializing in the diagnosis, treatment, and counseling of those with memory loss and dementia, Dr. DeVere also has a book to reduce your worry and fear by knowing the fact. Memory loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. Available now on Amazon.com. Dr. Ronald DeVere, Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders center in Lakeway, and his book, Memory Loss, Everything You Want to Know But Forget to Ask. For more information or to schedule an appointment, call 512-261-7909. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. And we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmarakarpell.com. And now joining us on the phone once again from New York, we have Vice President of the Yoga Alliance Foundation, mental health social impact speaker, and author of the wonderful book, Strong in the Broken Places, a memoir of addiction and redemption through wellness, Quentin Denny. Welcome back, Quentin. Hello there. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, it's been a while. You, you've been on the show several times, but it's, I was looking back, and I think it's been like close to three years since the last time you were on. Yeah, I think so. It's been quite some yeah. time. Yeah, so I'm so glad to have you back. And I just want to start off by saying thank you so much for the wonderful testimonial that you wrote for my book. Oh, I my pleasure. I so appreciate that. Oh, um, my pleasure. And I have really enjoyed your book. I mean, I, I, you know, you've told your story a few times on this program, but reading it in your book was, you know, went a lot deeper very, you know, very moving, very moving story. Um, Thank you so much. And congratulations on your book. <laughs> thank you. Congratulations <laughs> on yours. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a it's a big undertaking. So <laughs> yeah. it is a daunting task to say the least. It is. <laughs> so. You know, um, before we get into, you know, your story, which you told before, but maybe you can talk about it now from the perspective of, you know, what you wrote about in the book. And um, maybe you can just fill us in a little bit on what you've been up to in the last three years. I know you've been really busy. 
Yeah, trying to, you know. Um, yeah, I, I, I was, uh, I think the last time we spoke, I was still living in New York. And now I'm in the D.C. area um, working oh, at Yoga Alliance okay. Foundation. So I left the New York area um, in October of last year. Uh, and came, you know, a lot closer to my hometown, again, to do work with Yoga Alliance Foundation. And, um, you know, like the whole goal and idea there is to, you know, break the the barriers that exist within the yoga community, um, above and beyond the yoga community, but also using, you know, yoga as that mechanism um, to bring together communities um, that have historically, you know, and systemically been at odds uh, in addition to making yoga accessible to communities that wouldn't ordinarily have it and using that as a, as a, a, a economic development opportunity uh, in, in those communities as well. So, you know, as it stands right now, that's really my biggest goal and my mission. And it has been for the past, you know, four or five years since yoga really came into my life and, you know, really helped shift uh, and, and helped stable uh, stabilize a lot of the things that I have been uh, dealing with over the years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. I mean, how has yoga been at odds with with some communities? I mean, yoga is, is generally known uh, and typically looked at as a as a uh, a luxury item so to speak, right? It's not something that's, you know, well, in America, it's looked at as the, as, as that, you know. Um, so a lot of people still don't have access to it. When you go back, in, you know, into communities like where I'm from in Baltimore, you know, impoverished, you know, urban communities, you know, across this country, there's a lot of people that don't know what yoga is, have never been exposed to it, haven't had the privilege and opportunity to practice, Right, because it's still looked at as something that's reserved for a wealthier, high class. You know, I'm using air quotes here. You know, um, mm-hmm. you know, upper middle class kind of, you know, kind of community. You know, I mean, the average yoga class is about thirty dollars for twenty five to thirty bucks for a drop in. You know, and the average person in an impoverished community across this country, you know, twenty to thirty bucks is is can be the difference between their lights being cut off or you know their rent being paid. So. Mm-hmm you know, not having the luxury to step outside of those communities and, and practice. You don't see yoga communities in, you know, in, in ghettos and in hoods across this country. You see them in, in, you know, affluent neighborhoods. You know, in Baltimore, you see it in Canton. You see them in Fells Point. You see them in Federal Hill. You know, in New York City, they're in Manhattan. They're in Brooklyn. You know, they're, you know, popping up now in Harlem because of gentrification. But you won't see a yoga studio across the street from the projects in the Bronx. You know what I mean? So, right. um, you know, if, if, in order for individuals, you know, that live in these communities to have access to it, it takes people that are willing to really step back into the community and make sure that they have it. You know, um, mm-hmm. for, for, for myself, you know, someone who grew up, you know, single parent, father was a heroin addict, you know, shot at by the time I was 12 years old, was diagnosed mm. with severe GAD, panic disorder, major depressive disorders, you know, and then endured a two-year addiction to anxiety pills. Yoga was like almost that saving grace, so to speak, you know, without taking away the credibility in, in, in my faith that I have in God, right? But, you know, yoga was that modality that I was actually able to dive into, um, and, and it challenged myself mentally and physically, 
Um, you know, that's, that's why they call it a yoga practice, right? Like you're never, right. you know, I don't believe in, in yoga experts, right? It's yoga practice, not yoga perfect, right? So, uh-huh. you know, I was, you know, there's always going to be something to move you forward in the practice, right? And for what it did for me, you know, it helped me to manage my mental health, uh, you know, disorders. And it helped, you know, it was, it was one of the key modalities that I used, you know, to get off of the medication and, and stop taking pills, you know, and I celebrate seven years this year. So, you know, it, it has wow, obviously great. done wonders for me. Um, and, you know, I want to make sure that more people that look like me, that come from the same socioeconomic mm-hmm. status that I came from, also have access to it. Right. I think that's a, a wonderful thing. I've been I've been seeing a lot of posts, you know, on social media about the push to have yoga and meditation in public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that I have to tell you that I was I was very lucky when I was in high school going to, you know, a, a New York City high school in a very diverse community. It was really, you know, we had all levels of socioeconomic status in my high school and very large high school in New York City. Um, that was one of the gym classes was yoga. That wow. was my first exposure to yoga was, was right there in public school. And it, wow. you know, I didn't, I didn't continue with it, you know, in a continual basis, but it yoga came in and out of my life for throughout my life until, you know, more recently when it's been more consistent. But um, I think because of that exposure, it made me more open and looking for ways that I could do yoga, even when I didn't have the the means to pay for an expensive class. So right. I think it is really powerful to expose kids to it at a, at a young age. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and, and, you know, we just, completed a, a, you know, a pilot launch in one of the neighborhoods that I used to frequent in West Baltimore. And one of the things that I did was, you know, also involve parents in that, right? Because it's not mm-hmm. just the, the, the children, right? Like we, we often, you know, have programs that, you know, bring yoga to, to kids and it's amazing, but for that one hour in school, right? And they have it in school, but what happens when mm-hmm. they step out of the, the confines of that building and they're back to facing their normal reality when they're at home, you know, um, and their parent who is unaware of the significance, you know, and the, the benefits of yoga, you know, are now talking down to it or don't want to practice along with, right? So yoga has the ability to build community. Um, and I think that starts at home as well. So one of the things that I'm really, you know, um, focused on is, is making sure that it's not just the child that has access to it and that's able to practice, but also the parent. It, it's, a, it's a conversation starter. It's something that can, you know, bring kids and their parents closer. It's something that they can do outside the school. So I'm trying to really, like, focus on empowering parents and students together collectively and even administrators, right, to be able to, to practice this, you know, this practice um, you know, as a unit and, and as a collective. Uh, so that way, after that one hour in school, it's not lost. And, and they can remind, <laughs> they can be reminded even by the parent to, to, to go back to their breathing and to, to you know, to, um, you know, to self-regulate a little bit differently. Right, right. So, you know, yoga, you know, is not just about the poses, right? It's also about the breathing and the focus. 
Absolutely. Right. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about yoga, right, is that we think it's all about the poses. And that was a misconception that I had. You know, I was like, you know, how is twisting my body into these weird poses going to help me with anxiety? You know, but right. there's a there's a there's a, a, a theory and a philosophy, you know, um, that goes along with it. You know, there's, you know, uh, there's a belief system that that goes along with it. Yoga isn't just about warrior two down dog and child's pose. You know, yoga is also about how you treat other people, right? Are you doing harm to yourself and to others? You know, um, one of the biggest keys that I, I took away from it, I was in um, my teacher training and I was about that. I was like about to have a full blown panic attack and I wrote about it in the book. And I think we were in mm-hmm. chair pose and, you know, and the, the teacher came over and said, your reaction to pain doesn't change the fact that it exists. Your reaction to it determines the impact that it has in your life. Right. And that's almost like a, a yogic philosophy, right? Like we can, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to go through trials and tribulations and pain and, and discomfort in so many areas of our lives, but our reaction to it is, is, is what determines its impact. And although I was full-blown, you know, practically full-blown panic mode, my legs were shaking, my arms were burning, the way that I chose to react in that moment, I could pinpoint you know, if I was going to flee, then I could pinpoint other areas in my life where I would have reacted to being uncomfortable in a similar way, and I wouldn't have faced it, and I would have ran away from it, right? So those are just some of the things, you know, one of the, the biggest keys that I learned from yoga, that, it, it, you know, there's seven limbs to yoga, you know, there's, so like asana is just one of many. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So... So, Correction, there are eight ask, limbs to yoga, eight not limbs. seven. Okay. Yeah. I just I had, to, I, was, I had to question myself. I got so caught up in what I was saying. I was like, wait a minute. So let me ask you a question. Are, you know, how are people responding to it, you know, to your efforts to, to uh, bring this into the, co- the communities where people aren't used to having it in the community and, and getting administrators on board and, you know, um, people in the community who can make it happen, not just the students and their parents. Um, what what has been the reaction? Well, well, interestingly enough, you know, I haven't be, I haven't really been reliant on people in the community to make it happen. I've been going mm-hmm. back into the community and making it happen. Right, like I'm I'm okay. one of those guys that I don't look at things from you know from a perched perspective. Um, you know, uh, I I go back and I engage with people. Um, you know, I'm not so far removed that, you know, I don't want to be able to be accessible, you know, and, and have those one-on-one dialogues. Um, so the reception has been incredible, actually. Um, you know, I, I think so, so many people are actually, they've heard the term, they've seen it on social media, like they've seen the, the poses, but have never had the ability to practice, you know, because mm-hmm. again, you know, uh, it, there are no yoga studios in these communities. So, you know, the reception has been incredible and people have been excited and really showing up and really wanting to see, like, what's this yoga thing all about that I'm hearing so much about and that I'm seeing everywhere. Um, so, you know, I, I just feel blessed and honored, um, you know, to have had the ability to to, to expose, you know, parents and, and kids alike uh, and administrators to, to this practice that wouldn't ordinarily have it. That's wonderful. I think that you're doing such a great thing. It's like a mission. <laughs> um, yeah. It really, obviously, you know, 
based on how it changed your life, you know that it can change people's lives and really empower people um, to have more joy and passion in their life, rather, no matter what their situation might be. Absolutely. It, 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 mm-hmm. it puts us in a position of, you know, self-reflection. Um, and, you know, when you take a moment, one thing that's so important in life, you know, it's, it's our life force is our breath. And we go through life so often, like we, we feel like we're breathing, but we're actually suffocating ourselves because we don't give ourselves a chance and opportunity to really slow down and take a breath, right? So it's like if I'm in the, in the midst of an anxiety attack, I'm not going to be breathing consciously, um, and therefore I'm going to feel like my breathing is being restricted even if it's not, right? Like I might hyperventilate, you know, shortness of breath is one of the symptoms of an anxiety and or panic attack, right? So, you know, just mm-hmm. having that ability to just take a moment and regain control of your breath can do so much for you to re- regain control of every other area of your life. If we just take that time, take those small incremental moments, right, and just breathe, it, it can make a world of difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, as you may know, I have worked for many years with older adults and with caregivers, and I'm, I, you know, I'm glad, you know, thankful that that's also a community where people haven't really done yoga, um, but there, I'm thankful that there are people, yoga teachers that go into nursing homes, for example, and do chair yoga with the mm-hmm. older adults. But I think that there's still sort of this image, even, you know, among that population and among caregivers, that this is something that, you know, it's, it's, it's just like a fun thing to do or a luxury. It's not something that really can help people tremendously. Um, and I was speaking to somebody who specializes in caregivers, and we were talking about, you know, the need to have respite, you know, uh, time off from being a caregiver to have, you know, time to go and do things that you need to do for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So I said, yeah, you know, I was visiting my mom, and, and I was thinking how it would be great to have, like, a meditation class that was both for older, you know, for the person being cared for and for the caregiver to do together so that they both could get the benefits from that. And, you know, it would be sort of a respite. And he looked at me like I was crazy and said, well, I was meaning that maybe they needed the time off to go to the doctor um, or get their hair done. And I just sort of dropped it, but I thought, well, maybe if they had the time to actually meditate, do some yoga, they wouldn't need to go to the doctor so much. Right, right. exactly. <laughs> but there's that that perspective, I think, that it's just like a luxury. Um, yeah, and I think that's something that we're working collectively as an organization and a community to change. You know, for a mm-hmm. very long time, it's it's been looked at as a luxury. You know, it's the commercialization of, you know, of a practice. You know, oh, yeah. um, it, it, to me, it's, it's no different than Christmas. You know, Christmas is no longer about love and being together with family. It's about, you know, how many deals you can get on Black Friday, you know, so you can, <laughs> you know, you know, end up spending all the money in your bank account to buy you whoever a gift that they're going to 
utilized for two months and then forget it, forget about it anyway, right? It's the commercialization right. of things that are actually important, you know, and I think that's what America's great at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so why don't we talk a little bit about your book, um, you know, your story, because this book is really your story about, you know, the, what led you to this path and the, the, the transformation that you went through. Mm-hmm. I like to say that, you know, my transformation really came out of a place of desperation. You know, there's no doubt in my mind that if, you know, if, speaking of yoga, if yoga itself didn't find me, I wouldn't be alive right now. You know, like mm-hmm. I was, I was at a, a, a very low point in my life where I, I wasn't able to be the father that I needed to be to my children. You know, my addiction and my anxiety, like, pushed me out of school. It ended up uh, forcing me to close my business. I had a, a you know, pretty good um, personal training business, you know, pretty lucrative business at the time, you know, and it, it, it dehumanized me, I feel like, in a lot of ways, and it emasculated me uh, in even more ways. You know, it, it had reached a pinnacle where, like, I was afraid to even drive on the highway, um, you know, if, if I didn't have a hospital, you know, within 10 or 15 minutes from me. So mm-hmm. it, it forced me, you know, um, to, 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 to choose, right? Like I had to either fight to live or just accept the fact that I was moving forward to death. Um, and I wasn't willing to do that. You know, I, I acknowledged, you know, what my issues were. They say the first step to recovery is admitting that there's a problem. And I admitted that problem to my doctor and he wanted to keep me on medication, which then led me to believe that I'm, I'm simply being controlled and manipulated, you know, um, for the betterment and for the financial gain of another individual. Um, mm-hmm. And that was something that I couldn't, I couldn't accept that, you know, my, my, my children had the right to have a father um, and I didn't, you know, so I, I fought for that. Um, and, you know, and, and it, it took a lot of diligence and will and determination um, and, and putting my body through, you know, a very um, difficult transform, transformation uh, through detox and, and really through, you know, changing my diet. You know, I went vegan for months. I ended up getting sick. I, I just did so much because I, I, I wanted to, if, if nothing else, if I was going to die, I wasn't just going to lay down and accept it. I was going to fight with everything that I had in me to try to do the opposite. And, and I was blessed and fortunate to have been able to do such. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe you can fill our listeners in a little bit on your background. Because you write about it in the book. Maybe you can just kind of give a little glimpse I mean, into the book. <laughs> so uh, essentially, like I said, I was, I was born and raised in Baltimore. You know, my mother, I was raised by a single mom. You know, she often worked two to three jobs, you know, just to um, just to keep the lights on and keep the rent paid. You know, I, I, I often say, you know, to people, my mother raised me making less than $30,000 a year. And how she was able to do so, I have no clue, right? But she scratched and, mm-hmm. and clawed and, and did whatever she needed to do to make sure that I, I, went, I, I didn't go without. You know, my father was addicted to heroin, so uh, a lot of the experiences I had with him was, you know, he was either, you know, too high to recognize me. He was either, you know, looking, um, you, you know, for the for his next fix or he was in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. a lot of the quality time that I spent with him was when he was in the penitentiary or in boot camp. 
you know. Um, and so him and I didn't really have much of a relationship uh, at that point. Um, and, you know, I, I went to schools um, that were prestigious in the, in the county of Baltimore, you know, in the suburbs of Baltimore. You know, I went from middle school, from elementary to middle school, I went to school with, you know, Hasidic Jews, for the majority, you know, mm-hmm. that, that was the main population, you know, so even during that time, there was a lot of racial division um, and prejudice and, and, and racial mm. bias um, and racism, you know, that I had to endure, you know, while trying to get a, a quality, I'm using air quotes again, a quality education. Um, so it was, it was really challenging for me to really understand, you know, the, the, the juxtaposition I was placed in, right? Like I, you know, in school, I was considered to be a thug and I was, you know, essentially too black. I spoke with urban vernacular, right? But in the, in, in my old community where I would go home to, I was too white. I spoke with mm. contradiction and I used proper wow. sentence structure, you know? So I, I really, I really you know, lived in a, I never lived in a place of equilibrium. I, I never really felt comfortable um, or felt, uh, you know, uh, at home in either community. Um, so I, I started reading a lot. So I, well, I was 12 years old when I read the autobiography of Malcolm X, just trying to get an understanding of, you know, why I was being treated this way and, and what I could do as an individual, um, essentially to, to counter it, you know, to counteract everything that I was experiencing. Um, right. So, uh, in, in, in after getting out of school and, you know, and going through all of that, I ended up, you know, um, moving out, you know, I was like 18, 19 years old. Um, and then, uh, you know, because of being in Baltimore at the time, Baltimore was considered the heroin capital of America. I ended up getting myself involved in, in that trade, um, you know, and, and, and that led me down a pretty dark path. It really shifted and changed the way that I, I viewed people and, and the way that I viewed humanity. Uh, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with why I was ultimately, you know, diagnosed with severe GAD and, and, um, panic disorder and major depressive disorder. Mm-hmm. From, mm-hmm. from, so from there I was, you know, I, I started a business. I, I, I lived, you know, what I thought was a successful life, you know, and then anxiety hit me and it hit me hard. Um, and then, you know, I was given this, this magic pill that I could take twice a day and it would, you know, it would, it would keep my anxiety at bay, you know, and I went from taking one and a half to two milligrams a day, you know, a a day to to taking upwards of 18 and then mixing it with alcohol. Um, And, and it just put me on a path where, you know, I really didn't appreciate life and had no reason to continue living it. So I attempted suicide twice. uh, And it was after that second suicide attempt, you know, when I, I had the handgun and, you know, and I was looking for the handgun and, and couldn't find it, um, mm-hmm. thought that I left it. And, you know, then I came back home, you know, confused as to where did I put this gun, you know, and I saw that it was on my kitchen counter. And even to this day, I still have no recollection of, of it being on that counter, you know, uh, of wow. me ever taking it out of my waistband. It was fully loaded, you know, safety off. You know, I, I knew what I was going to do. So it was, you know, right. divine intervention, so to speak, that, you know, that led me to, to really understanding that even left of my own vices, I can't even kill myself properly. Like the one thing that I felt like I did have control over, you know, it was in mm-hmm. that moment, I was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm obviously here for a reason. So let me, let me do a little bit of due diligence and let me find some strength and some resilience um, and figure that out. 
Right. So what led you to yoga? How did that come into your life? Um, I, I like to say that yoga found me, um, uh-huh. you know, um, because I, I had a, a very serious aversion to it. I thought it was like a weird sex cult type of thing that, you know, <laughs> that non-people of color right. did, and I didn't want anything to do right. So, um, right. you know, uh, but um, I, I don't, I, I would see things about it and, and I was just like, nah, this is, this is awkward. Like this is some wellness weirdo type of stuff. Right. But um, I was, I was looking at online for a juice recipe because one of the first things that I did was I wanted to figure out like what was contributing the most to my anxiety. What was making me feel so depressed, right? Like I truly believe anxiety rests in the future. Depression resides in the past. So I'm like, well, what am I doing in the present moment? And what can I do in the present moment to not allow either of those two things to exist? Uh, and one of the things that I came across was like my diet and like consuming caffeine and increased amounts of sugar and, and carbs and gluten and all of these things that I was consuming, you know, uh, entirely too much of, you know, could, could trigger, right. The physiological effects of anxiety. Um, Mm -hmm. and I was like, I was so I was fascinated by that. And then I went into a rabbit hole of like figuring out all of the things that I was that I've been told, you know, about my diet that I thought were correct, that were actually wrong. Right. Like my entire life, I was like watching Got Milk commercials. And despite being lactose intolerant, I felt like I had to get milk, you know, and I, uh-huh, you know, I, I, was, uh-huh. I was I was I was duped. Um, so, I, you know, um, but it was during that time of, of me really shifting my diet, I started juicing. Um, not the steroid kind, the green fruits and vegetables kind. And, um, right. you know, I, I was doing some research online uh, and Chris Carr, who was like amused to me at the time, you know, from watching her documentary, Crazy Sexy Cancer, um, she had made reference to a person. Uh, no, I found a juice recipe by this woman named Tara Styles, And um, she was, it was a, a pineapple juice or something like that. And she was like, oh, this juicer came from my good friend, Chris Carr. And again, Chris Carr was my muse. So I'm like, well, if, if, mm-hmm. if her friend is Chris Carr, then who is this woman? And I found out that she, in fact, was a yoga teacher, but she wasn't using like Sanskrit terms. She wasn't, you know, she was speaking things that I could actually understand and readily identify with. She was saying things like, you know, high lunge, low lunge, go into a plank, you know, let's go into down dog. She was, she didn't have, you know, elephants with jewelry and, earrings you know in her studio uh-huh. like it was it was accessible right for someone for a black male from the inner city of baltimore i didn't come to yoga and didn't want to practice yoga as a religion i knew who god was i knew who my god was and i didn't need anything else trying to you know take me somewhere else because i thought that's right. what it was i didn't i didn't need to pray to a statue when i prayed to god um mm-hmm. so she made it very accessible for me and she took out all of the, the, the things that I couldn't identify with and, and just made it easy. And so I started practicing along with her. And from that practice, you know, I, I ended up gaining a little bit of courage and stepping out into an actual studio and even in that studio, right? Like she, you know, the teacher, Jill, she would slowly introduce like, you know, aromatherapy and would come over and like spray you with some stuff <laughs> that smelled, smelled great, you know, but, 
you know, so it was like she was slowly introduced. She would play music and, like, you know, certain things. I still didn't feel like I needed to pray to a statue, right? So it was still accessible. She slowly started to introduce Sanskrit terms, but still using the English translation to identify and explain the poses. And, you know, within a matter of, you know, a few months, you know, I wasn't smoking as many cigarettes per day. I wasn't taking mm-hmm. as many pills per day. I didn't want to mm-hmm. smoke after I drank a green juice and took a yoga class. You know, I, I right. wanted to all of a sudden start to take better care of myself. Um, and, uh, and, and that was it for me. You know, it was within eight months I was signing up for my teacher training. Wow. Okay. And, you know, I know that you talk about the triad of wellness. You've spoken about yes. it before on this my show, Trinity but you talk about yes. it in- the Trinity, the Trinity of yeah. wellness. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can explain to the listeners what the Trinity of wellness is. I think for me, my Trinity of wellness is yoga, meditation, and juicing. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think it, you know, it hits all areas. You know, the meditation aspect. Yoga is like meditation plus one. You know, it's like meditation on steroids to me. You know, it's, it's moving meditation, right? So you're still able uh-huh. to get into your physical body, right? But even if you don't have time or space to, med- to, to do yoga, you can still go back to your breathing. You can still take a moment. And that, for me, really heightened my spiritual connection. I, I, would, I, I don't consider myself to be religious at all, but I'm a very spiritual being, and I feel people's energy, and, 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 I, and I, you know, I feel like your gut is God. And, I, you know, I'm 35 and did some things in my life, and I'm obviously still alive for a reason. So my, in, my, my, my intuition, um, you know, is, is, is pretty on point. And I, I, I believe a lot of that comes from, you know, that energetic connection that I have with the environment around me. Uh, and meditation mm-hmm. allows me to, to tap into that while yoga still allows me to get physical in my body. And then the juicing component, actually, I don't, I normally don't like to eat vegetables except broccoli um, and sauteed uh, spinach. Uh, and, and I'm starting to like salads, um, uh-huh. but I'm not quite, I'm not a hundred percent there yet. So um, <laughs> would, and I hated salads and eating vegetables before. So what juicing was allowing me to do was to get the necessary nutrients that I needed in my life you know, in my, in my body and what my body like relied on and depended on that I was depriving it from for so long and it tasted great and it was easy to consume, you know, like juicing allows, you know, it's a 98% bioavailability, right? So it's like your body doesn't have to work to digest the liquid. It works to digest food. So generally when you eat, right, you're not getting all of the nutrients because the rest of it is coming out in your fiber, you know, and during, through digestion, Right. So by stripping the fiber out, I was able to really give my body nutrients, you know, at a at a at a cellular level. Um, And, you know, and and it's it's still something that I believe in today. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I love that in the back of your book, you give some of your juice recipes um, Mm -hmm. and also really really importantly is that you give um, some poses um, for in yoga for relaxation. And, you know, what I've mentioned to many of my um, clients and the veterans who come to see me who have PTSD is that there are some poses that activate and can actually trigger anxiety in some people. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, and others that can be very calming. So, um, and would be, and are, is great for, they're great for anxiety or, um, I guess the activating ones would be good for depression. Um, right. So, so it's great that you have, you know, listed some of these poses and what they're good for. And I think it, I, I felt like it was necessary and, and very important, you know, um, because, uh, you know, for, for someone like myself who, who didn't come from a community or an environment where, you know, we talked about mental health or we talked about yoga, or we talked about feelings, I felt like it was very important, you know, to get to a place um, and to explain throughout this book, you know, like even every, every section of the book is met with a scripture and a yoga pose. And, you know, that was also done with intention, right? Because a lot of times, especially in, you know, in, in the space of religion, you know, a lot of, you know, religions won't allow, they, they, they ban the practice of yoga because they look at yoga as a religion, you know, and despite its roots being in Buddhism and Hinduism and, you know, the, the origins is, you know, have been of debate. Um, but I wanted to break down that barrier and say that you can still enjoy this without having to necessarily, you know, consume all of it, right? Like you can take out, it's like what Bruce Lee says, you take what you need and you get rid of the rest. Right. And I didn't want anyone reading my book to sit back and say, oh, I'm not going to do this because they still have this misconception of what it is. You know, there's a lot of things in yoga from theory, philosophy and, you know, that I agree with. And there are other things that I don't, you know, um, and, and that doesn't mean that I still can't benefit from this practice. And, it does, and, mm-hmm. and I wanted to show that without you having to dive in and, and look at it in one way, in one trajectory only, that you had the option and the ability right, to kind of pick and choose and, and make your practice your practice. Yoga is a selfish practice, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's self-regulating. It's a self-reflective. It, you know, you go into a yoga studio, the idea isn't for your pose to look exactly like the person next to you. It's about what's comfortable and what feels best in your body. And and I wanted to be able to show that from theory, philosophy, and and asana. Mhm, mhm. Yeah, and you did a great job because um, you. you know it it am the whole book I think is really an important book for for people to read if they you know especially if they have any sort of curiosity about like well good is yoga for me because I you know I have struggles in my life and that is not at all relevant to the struggles in my life Um, I think that you make it very very relevant Um, so so if people are interested in finding out more about you and about the book and you know um all of the things that you're doing, are you still doing coaching? I know that you were doing health coaching for a while. Yeah, I'm, I'm no longer doing health coaching. Um, you know, after taking my position at Yoga Alliance Foundation, that is my, my primary focus, you know, really, you know, helping to, to, to build and fulfill and facilitate, you know, um, the goals and the mission of the organization. Uh, so that is my primary uh, line of business at this point. Um, but if people want to get in touch with me, you know, and, and reach out and contact me, you know, Quentin Vinny everywhere. It's Quentin Vinny on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and QuentinVinny.com. It'll have all of those social media, um, you know, links on there. 
It has links to the articles. I have a multitude of articles from Mind, Body, Green, Thrive Global, Huffington Post, you know, the observer that I've contributed, uh, as well as you can go straight to my website um, and purchase the book straight off of Amazon or Barnes & Noble. So, yeah, All I, right. I tried to make it as easy as possible to be as accessible as possible. Awesome. Awesome. And I'm going to post all of that on my uh, website about this program after the show. So people can just go to my website about, you know, the post about the show um, after the show, and that'll be there and they can just click on it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for coming back to the program and for doing all that you're doing, Quentin. I think it's really wonderful and, um, you know, good luck with everything, and, and let's stay in touch. I want to hear from you again. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me again and, you know, uh, allowing me to, to share all of what I'm doing and all of, you know, what has happened and, and what got me to this point. I'm, I'm grateful. So thank you. Let's please keep in contact. Yes. Wonderful. And thank you for all of the work that you're doing. Let's not, let's not end this like you're not doing some amazing things. As all well, right. So. Well, well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> all right. Well, you take care now. Thank and, you so uh, much. You as well. All right. Have a good evening. You have a better Bye-bye. one. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. So we're going to take a brief break. And when we come back, we have Michael Gill from Senior Locators, Senior Living Locators. And he's going to be talking about um, – senior living and what options there are for seniors and how to know what the best options are for you or your loved one. So don't go anywhere. We're going to take a brief break and we're going to be right back. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas. Every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. All right, and we are back. And joining us on the phone from right here in Austin, Texas, we have Michael Gill, who is here to talk about senior living locators and talk about senior living options um, for you or for your loved one. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Mary. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. And, and just as a reminder, there's a slight delay when we speak like this. Um, it's just good to keep that in mind. Um, how are you this evening? I'm doing well, thank you. Enjoying the heat of Central Texas. Yeah, I know. It's not that crazy. It's already summer. It's only June second. <laughs> so, so Michael, um, why don't you talk a little bit about? Um, first, let's start off with you and who you are and what senior locators are, and then maybe we can talk about the different types of senior residences and and um, how to know what is the best option um, for, especially, you know, for a caregiver that's looking for a loved one. Well, Mira, I own a company called Texas Senior Living Locators, and I've been doing business for about seven years now. 
And the reason the company exists is because it's so difficult for uh, people to try and figure out what your options are in the area. I got into the business originally because my mother was sick with Alzheimer's and has since passed, but uh, for many years uh, I was her uh, primary caregiver. And when you look around and try and figure out where to go, you know, we all knew and grew up uh, talking about nursing homes as where somebody goes. Well, nursing home is like a Band-Aid in the sense that a a Band-Aid is a a generic name for just a small bandage, but people don't realize that there are needs for big bandages and all sorts of uh, different styles uh, of uh, um, senior living homes. So people don't know the difference, and I didn't really know the difference in some ways when I first got in this journey uh, between assisted living and memory care, and then there's independent retirement homes, and there's nursing homes. And they all have their own uh, needs and requirements and uh, uh, benefits, but trying to figure out which one is appropriate for a parent is not always easy. So 80% of the time what I do is I help the adult children of parents figure out what to do when there is a family emergency. And these family emergencies can uh, uh, come about in a lot of different ways. I mean, a classic way, for example, is when somebody's mother ends up taking her medications five times in a row, forgetting she's already taken them that morning, and she Mm. ends up overdosing on her blood pressure medication. Many times we uh, end up with people like this in the hospital and people don't know where to go with uh, what the next steps are and, and how to keep their loved ones safe. And so uh, Texas Senior Living Locators and other locator services like myself are free services. We're like apartment hunting services uh, in the sense that we're free because we're paid a commission by where people end up going. Uh, but we are experts in the area, and you know, I personally help a couple hundred uh, families a year figure out how to move their parents uh, to the next stage of life, whatever that next stage is appropriate for them and for their family. Right, right. So, so what would be, you know, um, you know, for you and I, we we kind of have an idea. I mean, you know very well, and I have a pretty good idea because I've worked in the field of the differences between the different types of senior living. Um, But I would say that most people really don't know what, you know, an independent living is versus living in their own apartment somewhere. Um, And how does that differ from assisted or nursing home, Um, you know, and what would determine which one of those you would choose? Right, and uh, you know, though I liken myself to an assist uh, to a, an apartment hunting service, realistically, a lot of what we do is more uh, healthcare related. Because when we're talking about the senior living industry, of course, we're not just talking about uh, the real estate aspect. Uh, the senior living industry uh, encompasses also usually meals, amenities, uh, and activities, as well as uh, help with activities of daily living, which. Uh, is what would be considered custodial care. And then in the uh, most extreme example, uh, in a nursing home where somebody needs uh, 24-7 nursing services because of things like ventilators or feeding tubes or uh, other you know, uh, less well-known medical interventions that help people in their elder years. So I guess the best way to do this, uh, Mara, is to start with uh, you know, what's uh, the least uh, or the, the entry-level senior living service 
which would be at this point, there's a new area called 55 plus, which is just apartments uh, with some amenities like uh, activities and transportation. Uh, but they're just apartments for seniors, meaning you have to be 55 or older to be able to uh, uh, move into one of these apartments. So that's an age-restricted apartment, 55-plus. That's mm-hmm. different, though, from the more traditional things. And by the way, the 55-plus have only uh, been coming on the scene, at least here in Austin, for the last three years. Uh, independent living, which has been around for you know, 30, 40, 50 years, uh, is basically apartments surrounding a centralized dining room <laughs> the meal plan, but you also end up having bridge and bingo and other activities, uh, and then they have transportation services. So independent living is not assisted living in the sense that the building itself does not employ caregivers and cannot help with what's called activities of daily living. This might be a good term uh, time. Do you think this is a good time uh, to talk about what activities of daily living are? Sure, sure. Okay. So a lot of the time uh, when seniors uh, get older and they become more frail, they need help. And the things that they need help with are generally categorized in about seven different areas. There's dressing because people will have uh, um, some arthritis or, and so they may not be able to do buttons as well. They may not be able to bend over as much uh, to put on socks. They may have uh, problems getting uh, uh a T-shirt over their head because of their arthritis in their shoulders or something. So dressing is the first activity of daily living. The second ADL, which sometimes uh, people talk about activities of daily living as ADLs, their uh, initials, Mm -hmm. is uh, bathing. Bathing is a very dangerous activity for seniors because bathrooms get slippery. You sometimes have to step over 18-inch high ledges to get into the bathtub to take a shower. Um, Mm -hmm. it's a little bit disorienting and people can can get vertigo in a small area. Uh, So there's a lot of uh, time that people don't take showers because they're worrying about falling. So bathing is the second uh, activity of daily living. Uh, Mm -hmm. Third would be eating. When we talk about eating, sometimes people need help getting the the, the food from their table to their mouth. So when we're talking about eating, we're not talking about uh, food preparation uh, or anything like that. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, say somebody with Parkinson's or with arthritis can't quite get peas on their fork and get their mouth okay, and sometimes they need help with uh, feeding. The fourth activity of daily living is called transferring. So sometimes elders uh, have a hard time getting off of the bed, for example, because there's no arms to push off of. If you ever go into an assisted living, you'll see that almost all uh, chairs have arms because elders uh, sometimes lose a lot of power in their quadriceps in their legs. And so they have a hard time getting out out off of a couch without arms or someplace, so they need to be able to push themselves up. So Mm -hmm. sometimes you can't get off the bed to your walker. You can't get off your bed into your wheelchair. And that's – or out of a couch – or you can't get from your wheelchair down to the uh, couch safely without sort of falling the last six inches, and sometimes people will miss their chair. So that's called transferring. That's the fourth activity of daily living. The fifth activity of daily living is toileting. And that means that people know that they need to go to the bathroom, but, hey, it takes some time sometimes to get out of uh, the chair and make your way all the way to the bathroom. It can take five minutes, and sometimes people have accidents getting to and from the bathroom or sometimes they can't do everything they need to in the bathroom, such as pulling up uh, their pants or cleaning themselves. 
So t- uh, toileting is um, a problem for people. The sixth mm-hmm. activity of daily living is incontinence. Now, incontinence and toileting sound a lot alike, but with incontinence, it's where somebody just doesn't know that they need to go and they uh, wet themselves just because they didn't know uh, they don't have feeling anymore and can't tell what's going on. Frequently, most frequently, incontinence is associated with dementia, but there are other reasons that people become incontinent. Now, those six activities of daily living are the official activities of daily living. And when we say official, it's official because uh, for long-term care insurance and for veterans' benefits, you're supposed to require help with two out of the six activities of daily living to qualify to be sick enough to get the veterans' benefits or the long-term care insurance policy. Mm-hmm. But there is a seventh activity of daily living, which is called medication management. And medication management is obviously uh, people will forget uh, w- uh, which medications they need to take what time of the day. And if you're not compliant with your medications, uh, then, you know, it can be a problem, particularly for people with uh, diabetes or with Parkinson's and things like this. Medications have to be taken on time, and frequently medications have to be taken, you know, multiple times a day, three or four times a day. So, um, at any rate, part of what I, uh, the reason we launch into this discussion about activities of daily living is because these are all custodial services that an assisted living can help with. But also, mm-hmm. uh, uh, these are the activities that people help with their parents at home as well. So, none of these activities uh, are skilled services skilled in the sense that they don't need a physical therapist, skilled in the sense that they don't need a a nurse to perform, skilled that they don't need anybody that's got a particular certification. So when we're talking independent living and assisted living, we're talking custodial care as compared to when you get to a a skilled nursing home where you need skilled care. Anyway, back up to, again, we were talking about independent living as sort of one of the entry-level areas of the senior living industry. So independent living, the management does not hire caregivers, as we said, and the management's not licensed to help with any of these activities of daily living. In Texas and in other states, if somebody um, or a building or an organization is helping take care of people overnight and has more than four people who are receiving help with these activities of daily living, it has to be licensed as an assisted living. So an independent living can't help with activities of daily living. However, what an independent living will usually do is they will uh, rent a room to an outside agency, a personal assistance services agency, uh, a non-medical home health agency is what they're also called, and these are the type of companies that will come to the house and help with lighthouse work and help with bathing and some of these activities of daily living. Well, they can also do it in an independent living environment. The advantages mm-hmm. of having them do it in the in, uh, independent living environment is that they don't charge for a four-hour minimum uh, as they would if they were coming to your house. They can do things for, uh, by uh, the task or by the half hour, for example. And so sometimes uh-huh. if they come on in and help somebody bathe or you're doing, or doing standby assistance when somebody's bathing, they might throw in a load of laundry uh, as well, or they might just clean up the kitchen. So in independent living, you can do some light assisted living or receive help with light assisted living type of work as well. And many times um, the independent livings can uh, almost do everything that an assisted living can do. But typically, if they're doing that much work, they're going to be more expensive than an assisted living. 
Right, so especially I would recap, imagine if it's over if it's overnight, right? If you need help during the night, that could get really expensive. It can, and sometimes people mm-hmm. uh, need too much help uh, for them to stay in the independent living. And right. the other problem is that you're often dealing with two different companies. Uh, one company is the one that owns the building and provides the meal services and the hospitality. Uh, and then the other one is the one that ha- uh, uh, provides personal assistance services. And sometimes it's much more efficient for them to work together because frequently it's the dining staff that notices when something's going on uh, because somebody's not eating or not showing up in the dining room. And, you know, the personal assistance services agency doesn't know that something's going on or that somebody needs more help uh, because something's happened. So mm-hmm. independent living has a great uh, – uh, niche in the industry, and in Austin at least, independent living there's uh, there's probably 50% more independent living apartments than there are assisted living apartments. So it's a much more popular choice generally, um, and there's more people who are in, in independent living overall. Right, right. And it's so I would level, imagine much uh, it's much cheaper, right? If you don't need all of the extra assistance provided by an assisted living, it's much more affordable than to live in independent living. Mm-hmm. Yes. The median price for a one-bedroom apartment in independent living, which includes meals and all utilities, is about $3,000 a month. You can find places for, you know, down closer to $2,000 a month as well uh, in the more, the more price-conscious uh, communities. Um, but if you're looking for a view of downtown Austin in a two-bedroom apartment, you know, you can spend seven or $8,000 as well. So sure. generally, a one-bedroom would be around three thousand, and a two-bedroom would be for about forty-five hundred dollars, give or take. Mhm. Mhm. Right. So and assisted living would be the next level up, and of course, in assisted living, like independent living, I have apartments surrounding a centralized dining room with a meal plan and with activities like bridge and bingo, but they also have employees who are licensed to help with activities of daily living. And mm-hmm. so that's what an assisted living is. Um, and assisted living tends to be more expensive than independent living because you are getting a lot more services. You also tend to get less real estate, fewer square feet in your apartment in an assisted living than you do in independent living. And right. the average price nationwide for assisted living is about $3,700 a month. And, you know, it, and of course, that all depends. It depends on if you're getting a studio apartment, a one-bedroom, or two-bedroom apartment. And two-bedroom apartments are increasingly rare in uh, assisted living because they become more uh, too expensive. And then um, it also depends on how many services somebody is getting, how, many, how much help they need with activities of daily living. And Mm -hmm. so when somebody quotes you a price frequently in assisted living, that's just for the real estate and for the meals. When you get activities of daily living thrown on top, it takes it up from there. So one-bedroom apartment may start at, say, $3,800 a month for assisted living, but then if you need medication management, that's an extra $500. If you need two bathings a week, that's an extra $180. If you need... Um, escort services to and from the dining room, that's more money. If you need dressing uh, services in the morning or bedtime services in the evening, that's more money. And, of course, there's specialized things like uh, diabetes and um, catheters or other things like that that can drive it up a lot more. 
Right. And there's a lot of services that will come into these uh, places. So, for example, mm-hmm. you know, uh, home health will come on in into assisted livings, and they can do rehab uh, after somebody gets out of the hospital. They can do physical therapy right. or occupational therapy. Also, mm-hmm. you know, you occasionally you can get wound care services that will come on in. Uh, where they will, uh, Medicare will pay for a nurse to come take care of some wound for some reason. So there are extra services that can come on in, and most of these places have transportation services. There's usually visiting physicians that will come on in. Uh, mobile dentists uh, will come. Uh, mobile x-rays will come to the parking lot and uh, can even do swallow tests and things like this. Um, podiatrists will come on in. So, you know, you don't – usually when you move into an assisted living – there's not a real reason to go out unless you're going out for social social reasons, to go to a restaurant with your family right. or to your family's house. So everything can be brought to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So, so Michael, I know that we're, we're running out of time. Um, but I, it, I want to ask if people are interested in finding out more about your services right here in the Austin area, um, how would they connect with you? How would they contact you? Well, the easiest way, of course, is to go to a website, which is TexasSeniorLivingLocators.com, and they can find my contact information. Otherwise, uh, my phone number is 512 630 7133, and my email address is mgill, first initial, last name, so it's, uh, my name is Michael Gill, so it's M-G-I-L-L, at mm-hmm. Texas, T-E-X-A-S, then S-L-L.com. The S-L-L stands for Senior Living Locators, so Texas Senior Living Locators. Okay, okay. And do you have recommendations for how people can get that kind of help if they don't live in the Texas, in the, in the Austin area? Yes, the best thing to do is find a local locator service like myself. My type of company will go ahead and put people in their cars and take them on tours. We do not give out people's information uh, until we do a tour. So we're not going to uh, transmit everybody's information to the world. One of the problems if, is if you go online and start looking up places to go, there's a lot of come-ons on the Internet where they'll say, mm. put in your uh, Put in your phone number and your email address, and we'll send you the six best places to go. What they don't tell you is that they may send your name out to 20 different places, and then 20 different places are going to call you, and they're going to blow up your email, and they're going to be trying to market you, and it becomes a a big problem. So really finding a local locator service is what you want to do. Typically, you can find those type of people through your home health agency uh, or through some of the assisted livings. You know, there's 150 okay. different assisted living options in Austin, and I've been to them all. And, you know, there's uh, always a lot of places people don't realize that they haven't seen, and they only go to the places that they have seen, and they don't realize what other options there are. And with somebody like me, we, uh, you know, as you can tell, we explain the differences between the place. And, by the way, we haven't even gotten to memory care or skilled nursing and when those are appropriate um, and because our time is limited, certainly. And, uh, right. But the point is, is that – People like myself, we are there to serve you. We are a very high-service uh, type of business, and uh, we don't uh, you know, make things more complicated. 
I try and organize right. the confusion, and I try and provide as much information uh, as I can so that the family can make uh, a decision with all uh, the most comprehensive information they need to make the best decision possible. Yeah, so and that's really – senior living locators. I'm going to post that on my website post about this show later this evening. So if people missed it, they can go to my website and look for the post about this show and your information will be there um, as well as that recommendation for people who are outside of Austin, because that's really important. I know that I know that it's true because I've done it myself. I've put, I've fallen for that tactic where I've given my phone number Um to find out more information and the phone never stopped ringing for the longest time from all different companies. So um, having a middle, a middle person like yourself is really, really important. Um, Especially, you know, you don't have one place that you're trying to sell. You're, you know, looking for the best option to help people. And so it's a lot, you know, if people contact a facility, the facility is going to try to sell that facility. Exactly. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the other thing is I put people in touch with a lot of other services if they are not already in touch because you won't believe how many people don't have powers of attorney uh, or things like that and don't know the different options about, um, you know, the skilled nursing homes versus rehab hospitals and things like that. So when there's an emergency, I can really help organize the chaos and put uh, things in perspective and help people, you know, go and make the right decisions and go in the right directions. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big relief. (laughs) I think so. Well, yeah. Well, thank you so much for for coming on the program and talking about this. I think it's really important. And, you know, maybe you can come back uh, another time and we can talk about some of the issues that we didn't get to this time because of the time limit. Um, I'd be delighted, Mary. Okay, great. Um, and again, I'll be posting this later tonight so people can check that out. And thank you so much. And, you know, have a good evening. Stay cool. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks to everybody. Take care. All right. Okay. Bye bye now. All right. So we're going to take a, a minute break. Um, when we come back, Art. Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, who's producer of this program, is going to be talking about um, his latest project. And I'm going to talk next week about compassion. In the interest of time, I thought I'd have a 10-minute break in there, and I didn't. So that's fine. Next week, I'm going to talk about the topic of compassion to save ourselves and save the world. And don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back. Every day I just gotta get out of here. 
All right. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. And we were just listening to one of our original songs. And Art is joining us right now on this side of the mic to talk about his latest project. Welcome, Art. Are you there? Okay. Art's going to talk about one of his latest projects, and I don't know where he is. Are you there, Art? Having a little bit of technical difficulties. Are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Uh, Now I can hear you. Okay. So anyway, this is what's going on. Uh, Lost you. Now, are you there? Yeah. All right. Okay, so the song you just heard is uh, International Cuisine, which is part of a one-man act that I've created called Backwards on Purpose. And we shot a video of the interior of the the play or the performance. And uh, like I said, that is the first uh, song that is played in the performance. And it's about my life and music and all the ups and downs and everything that could possibly happen to you during a career. And I would like mm-hmm. to thank uh, EJ, the uh, sound engineer, uh, Marv House, the videographer, uh, Deborah Peacock, who took photographs, and uh, El Mercado, the backstage, for letting us use their stage. And um, it was fun. Tomas Ramirez, the Jasmine Devil, was playing sax, and Kim Session uh, played bass. And uh, on the next song that you're going to hear, which is New Orleans Blues, and that's about the time when I was uh, opened up a club in New Orleans and um, was closed down in 48 hours by the mafia. And so the story is about, the song is about all that time. So I'm going to play that now. And it's called New Orleans Blues. Okay. Célébant en roulé, that is what they all say. Célébant en roulé, that is what they all say. C'est le bon ton roulé, that is what they all say. C'est le bon
All right. Okay. Yeah, that was fun. That was a recording that I did in 2000 and uh, was getting ready to introduce it to some producers in L.A., but 2001 happened at 9-11, and everything got shelved for a while, but now it's time to go back and push everything again because I think the timing's right. The people that played on that was the Brew and um, also Tomas did a horn section with Tom Robinson and, and um, oh, my God, the trumpet player. He's a great t- trumpet player. And uh, that was a lot of fun. But that's during part of the play. That's the end. Of the, that's the last song of the first part of the performance. And uh, then on the second part of the performance, I explain on things that are protocol when you leave a uh, system and going back to reality. And uh, don't want to give away too much of the story so that people can understand mm-hmm. backwards on purpose means certain things to certain people. But uh, this song is about uh, a young lady that I saw standing in the middle of a club who was a waitress, but she didn't work. She just stood in the club while everybody went to her and, and probably picked up some cocaine. And uh, it's a funny story because I was uh, asked to play at this uh, filming of Johnny Be Good, which had Uma Thurman and Robert Downey Jr. and Michael Anthony Hall, and I was supposed to be their entertainment. And uh, when I got my locker to put my clothes in, I read a letter that was on the bottom of the locker that said, you won't believe the drugs that are in this hotel. And when I went to go play... <laughs> I went ahead and saw the waitress and said, I know what she's doing. She's dealing cocaine. Because even the manager from the private club, which is on the other side of the building, would come over and then go back to the private club, come back, go back to the private club. And I said, yeah, that's what she's doing. So I wrote a song during the break and wrote two of the verses and came back and got on stage and pointed at her. And she's leaning against this huge glass mirror, beautiful mirror. And I pointed at her and I said, this song is for you. It's called It's the Truth. And I played the song, and then the following morning I got a phone call from uh, Nancy Fly, who was booking me, and she said, you have a 100-yard restraining order from the St. <laughs> Anthony Hotel. And what did you do? And I said, I just wrote a song, and it's the truth. And so here's that song. <laughs> the North Town to survive. She owes so many people she stayed alive. If you get in front of her path, she will. She'll eat you alive. It's the truth. You have a little trouble with your nose. Watch it change colors like a rosy glow. If you see your face in the mirror when it's down on its side, 
you better hide. You'll lose your hide, and I'm going to show you. Transaction, you make a buy. Well, it's all in fashion. You want to try? If you seek the truth from the mountain where it grows and it thrives, they'll say she lied. But you better hide. North now to survive. She owes so many people and stayed alive. If you get in front of her path, she will. She'll eat you alive. So now the next thing is to go to Los Angeles and sit down with some people and see if we can make this thing go a little bit bigger, make your program go up another level, and just do some producing. So that's it from this end. Hope everybody's doing cool. fine. I'm hungry. I want to go eat. That's it. All right. Okay. Thank you, Art. And I'm going to let people know what's coming up next week before you knock me off, okay? So... Um, I did mention that I was going to speak about compassion today and that I will do that next week instead. But I do want to mention one thing about it because I think it's just something so important. I think that compassion is how we're going to save ourselves and save the world. And I was just reading this wonderful book that you may have heard of called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And in it, he talks about how what I would describe as passion, which is the and this feeling that uh, energy that just wells up and fills you from the inside. And when you're filled with this energy, as he describes it, you feel like you could take on the world. And when it's flowing strongly, you can actually feel it coursing through you in waves. 
It gushes up spontaneously from deep inside and restores, replenishes, and recharges you. I call that passion. And what he says, and I think this is really critical, is that the only reason that you don't feel this energy all the time is because you block it. And you block it by closing your heart, closing your mind, and by pulling yourself into a restricted, restricted space inside. And so his solution to that is always keeping your heart open and noticing whenever you have the tendency to close it, that it's a habit. And for me, opening your heart includes having compassion, having being open to everything in your life, being loving and compassionate towards yourself and towards the world and everybody in it. And um, when we back away when we close down when we look at one person over there and say that person is no is not right um, that's when we close our heart and we close off that energy so um, I'm you know I'm going to talk more about that next week but I wanted to leave you with that and also just fill you in on some news Um, I have a blog coming out this week in Thrive Global about getting back on the track of living a passionate life. On uh, Wednesday, I was interviewed by Sean Douglas uh, for Life Transformation Radio, which is right here on Blog Talk Radio. And you can hear that whole interview. It was so much fun, and I think it's enjoyable to listen to. That's my perspective. Um, you can hear that whole thing on my website, drmaricarpel.com. I have the whole link to that um, interview on my website. It's also on my Facebook page, Dr. Mara Carpel, Your Golden Years. And it's also on um, Sean Douglas's um radio page, Life Transformation, which is right here on blog, Life Transformation Radio, which is right here on Blog Talk Radio. Um, I also met on Tuesday, last Tuesday, I got to meet Akshay Nanavati, who is on my show in April. He's the author of Fear Vana. We had a very enlightening conversation, and um, that was a lot of fun. I was highly recommend listening to the interview that we did in April, on April 28th. Next month, uh, this month, it's already June, June 21st, I'll be the keynote speaker at a private event on South Padre Island talking about keeping your passion to prevent burnout. And um, I'm, you know, planning to do some more speaking and some of them will be public and I'll keep you apprised of that. And Wednesday is my birthday, so I'll be meditating on that day about what the future holds. And if I have any insights about that, I will let you know on the next program. All right, so next, the next program is next Sunday, June 9th. We'll be back with another great show. And we'll be joined by certified holistic health coach and founder of Your Guide to Health, Loretta Lorden, who will be joining us from New York City. And I will be talking about compassion, and we'll have much more. We don't have we don't have every piece of the program planned, but it always turns out well by the time we get to it. And if you want to hear tonight's show again and read the information from this program and learn about upcoming programs, 
listen to previous programs, read my blogs, go to my website, drmaricorpel.com. The podcast to this program, along with all of the website links that we talked about, will be posted later tonight on my website. And you can also hear all of the previous programs, including tonight's program on blogtalkradio.com slash yourgoldenyears, and that will be ready to listen to this program in five minutes. And for all future information to find out about events coming up and future shows, blogs that are as soon as they post, go to my Facebook page, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This evening's show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by neurologist and memory specialist, Dr. Ronald DeVere, and by Storyhouse. And special thanks to my guests, Quentin Benny, Michael Gill, and of course, thank you to Art, and thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week, and remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. the North Town to survive. She owed so many people she stayed alive. If you get in front of her past, she will. She'll eat you alive. It's the truth. Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show.